stronger, be wiser. Our seat, our table. This is our voice, our time, our moment, our seat, our table. Yeah. Hey, 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 our seat. host of Our Seat, Our Table Leadership Lounge. You are listening to WPRK.org as well as Spotify and or Apple Podcasts. Do we have a wonderful show for you today? It is Friday, April the 16th, and we are getting through our taxes. Last week, we had Darlene Robinson, who is our local tax specialist, as she was speaking about the do's and don'ts for small businesses. This morning, we have a fantastic show for you. We have our community historian, Vivian Owens. She will be speaking of the African-American history in Mount Dora. Yes, there are Black people in Mount Dora, Florida, and they have always been there. We also have, we also have with us Sergeant Major Malvin Williams, Army Sergeant Major Malvin Williams. She is with the Scholars, Soldiers to Scholars program that was started by Dr. Alzo Reddick. As well as we have our local artist, Joyce Hayes. Joyce will be speaking on her career in our local community as an artist. And then we have Chiffon Gray, LaVonda Wilder with the Eatonville Chamber will be speaking with Chiffon Gray, who is a local business owner. Once again, we want to thank our listening audience. We have been doing this now since January. This is our 14th episode, and we work, we work diligently to bring you the best in community, history, arts, and business. Good morning and welcome to our seat, our table, Ms. Vivian Owens. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Excellent. And we are excited to have you here. Vivian, uh, when you think of Mount Dora, much like Winter Park, you don't realize, I I think a lot of people don't realize that an African-American community has always existed within a, a place like Mount Dora. Tell us about Mount Dora and the history of the African-American community there. The history of the African-American community in Mount Dora uh, is said to begin around 1840 when the first recorded African-American birth uh, took place, and that was uh, of a man named Nelson Williams. Uh, Since that time, uh, you have seen um, the community develop in terms of its schools, its churches, and uh, its business community. And uh, my book, The Mount Durans, uh, African American History Notes, only goes to 1970. So what I, most of what I will tell you uh, takes place between 
1840 and 1917. In particular, uh, we look at uh, some of the churches being formed. Uh, in the beginning, uh, the churches were what we call arbor churches. And what that means is during the 1870s, uh, people met under trees in order to conduct their services. Mm. It was 1884 when uh, St. Mary Baptist Church uh, built its first church and then later over the years it built other church, it built uh, more stable churches. Okay. The same is true for the AME church that was built uh, in Mount Dora uh, and that was around 1904. Uh, and you just had other little churches uh, popping up uh, through the years. Basically, uh, people were either Baptist, Methodist, or uh, what we call what they called sanctified churches. <laughs> and we all know what that means for the I most. That, okay. Um, one of the significant. Uh, things that took place in Mount Dora was that in 1886, the Mount Dora School Board of Trustees established what was called a school for Negroes. Correct. What that meant then was that there was a building, a school building, that was shared between uh, black students and white students. It is not clear whether uh, the white students were in session for uh, the afternoons or the mornings, and black students switched off uh, on some sort of daily schedule, or whether it was through a monthly schedule. I see. Let me ask this, Ms. Owens. So you're saying it was the same building, but as far as how the scheduling, who came in at one time, we're unsure of. That is correct. Okay, okay. So we do know that they were not being educated at the same time. Do we know, okay, do we know who the educators were? Were there white um, or Caucasian teachers teaching black students? I don't believe so. The white students, of course, were taught by Caucasians. Uh, the black students were probably taught by uh, local teachers, okay. and those local teachers could have uh, been uh, community-raised, uh, community-born uh, people, uh, but they could have also been uh, teachers who were transient, moving from or going to one community or the other. I see. Uh, because you are in Lake County. Mount Dora, Eustace, Tavares, Leesburg, all interconnect uh, in a fairly easy manner. So it is possible that there were teachers uh, who uh, commuted between those places. Correct. At the same time, it is also probable that you had teachers who lived locally. I see. Uh, by 1886, you did uh, have uh, colleges, even within the state, that were already producing black teachers. I so see. It was possible 
that some of those teachers were there. As well, I see. Now, what about businesses? What about, um, again, we always know that during this era of segregation, we were doing business within our own communities. Were there any identifiable businesses in the city of Magdora? There are two streets in Maldora that were referred to as upper streets, Grandview Street and Grant Avenue, uh, had businesses such as restaurants, fish markets, meat markets. Um, there was a store owned by a man named Ted Goggins. Uh, which was called uh, a drugstore. In that drugstore, he was not a pharmacist, so it was not a drugstore in the uh, way that we may look at drugstores now. Uh, Ted Goggins sold over-the-counter med medications for headaches and other things uh, like that that would be common that wouldn't require uh, a pharmaceutical prescription. Um, you had fish markets, uh, funeral homes, uh, all sorts of businesses. And of course, you had what were referred to as beer gardens, and you had dance halls. Um, other types of businesses certainly existed in that you had um, uh, hairdressers, tailors, dressmakers, those people were Services. always uh, part of the community. Now, this was during the earlier years. Um, the recorded dates for black businesses occurred around uh, the teen years, 1913 on uh, for, moving forward. In later years, uh, say by the late 1950s or even the early 1950s through the 80s and continuing, uh, black people, black men in particular, uh, were very entrepreneurial and right. there were yard businesses that uh, um, created income for people. Correct. So those were basically, I guess, the kinds of businesses that you saw. Okay. And and so with that, what now, what does Mount Dora look like when we see uh, uh, globally from a global scale and then we come down on a national scale and then to our localized scale, gentrification is is um, what we're we're now faced with in a lot of inner cities, black communities. What does that look like for Mount Dora? Uh, from outdoor, it probably looks the same <laughs> as most other uh, places that were once uh, black townships or black villages. Mm -hmm. um, many of the homes, of course, by today's standards, would be considered substandard. And so many of those homes were torn down. Um, and sometime during the 80s, the city of Mount Dora actually uh, received grants that allowed for the building of what were called self-help homes. Right. But the other, the other homes that lasted, that were still there, 
are still there, but uh, Easttown is sort of bordered by many uh, higher income uh, areas. And that makes it difficult for the people who are caught within those borders to continue their existence. Right. So gentrification is occurring uh, because of uh, residential communities bordering them where those residential communities uh, have uh, homes that are starting at, say, 200000 250000 are above. Wow. And many of the uh, traditional uh, black residents are not able to afford that kind of community. So what that means is that the taxes have gone up. Have increased, yes, tremendously, right. And so I, just as Winter Park, I see a lot of similarities. You and I have spoken prior. Just as Winter Park, do you have um, where it is considered a desirable uh, zip code or neighborhood in which to live in? Um, and that always says with desirable means that there's going to be some people who cannot afford to live there. You're going to have some people, oh, this is very a, a wonderful place to live. And that means the um, economic eviction for others. So it seems like they have that very much in common. At this point, that hasn't occurred, I don't think. Okay. Uh, what you have are that uh, many of the uh, new homes that are being built mm -hmm. are within the uh, black community, the formerly all-black segregated community. Many of those homes are being built there, but they are not the $200,000 Homes. Okay. If you're looking, and that is, if you're looking at Home X uh, from the 1940s black community, and then beside that, another home uh, that is more substantial uh, might be a, a $150,000 home, but that has not displaced the 1940s home at this point. At this point, okay, okay. But what you have is, as I said, they are sort of bordered by, uh, say, Lock Laven mm -hmm. is of the zip code uh, for the uh, for the nineteen forties, nineteen twenties, nineteen fifteen black community. I see. Lock Laven, where the homes start at uh, seven hundred fifty thousand. Or above. Or above. So, uh, beside the across uh, from the black church, uh, the first AME black church in uh, Mount Dora, you have the $250,000 homes being built. So, as I said earlier, what you have is a bordering. What that will mean later, I am not sure whether it will mean. Uh, that they will be displaced, that the 1940 homes will be displaced, I am not sure. Right, right, right. And I did read just recently where Lake County has, um, it was voted by all five of their, the mayor and their commissioners, that they were moving to a single-member district form of government. 
which allows, as we know, um, representation for the underrepresented as well as for area control. So with that type of government in place, we always find that people from the areas who are connected to the areas know the issues of that particular community. They are afforded to run and participated to participate in their government and help to preserve those homes from the 1940s, the, the encroaching, the continual encroaching, those things can get kind of, um, uh, I don't want to say stopped, but there's a delay or even programs are in, uh, programs are, um, programs are developed, which can help people who need those types of programming in which to stay in their homes and maintain some sense of community. I can't speak to that. I am not sure mm -hmm. whether that is currently occurring, uh, whether that's occurring now, or uh, whether it will even occur in the future. During the 1980s, Mount Dora did have, in fact, I suppose actually during the 70s into the 80s and also into the 90s, Mount Dora did have several uh, black city council. Uh, oh, that's people. excellent. That's very good. That's very yeah. good. However, now there is none. There is none. Okay. So you saw um, participation and then a lack of, but again, I did read maybe a week or two ago where they are um, going to go to single, where they will go to single member district. So tell us, Vivian, at this particular point, is are there any identifiable buildings or um, historic designations that um, that that preserves the history of the African American community in Mount Dora? There are there are two historically. Uh, designated uh, buildings. One is the Milner Rosenwald School. Mm -hmm. uh, the other is the Masonic Lodge. Masonic Lodge was built in 1911, okay. uh, somewhere around 1910, 1911. The Milner Rosenwald uh, School was actually built in 1926 as part of uh, a grant that the Rosenwald uh, gave to a lot of black communities throughout uh, South. Okay. The, the uh, Milner Rosenwald School, however, was started or was put together by two women who felt strongly that black children should be uh, educated, and those two women were black women in the Mount Dora in the East Town community, hmm. uh, and they actually organized uh, such that local citizens contributed monies to uh, this fund for the school. The Rosenwald Foundation required that uh, a community would uh, have a matching donation in order for the school to be built. A local white minister did actually uh, did actually contribute to this fund, and that is why it's called the Milner 
Rosenwald School instead of just a Rosenwald School. Got it, got it, got it. Vivian, where can our listeners find your book in which to continue to learn the history of Mount Dora? They can find my book, The Mount Durans, African American History Notes of a Florida Town, at uh, my website, estrapublications.com, or they can go to Amazon. Excellent. Excellent. Vivian, we want to thank you so very much for taking the time to join us and to share the amazing rich history of the African-American community in Mount Dora. You are listening to WPRK in Winter Park, Florida. You are listening to Our Seat, Our Table, The Leadership Lounge. And we've just heard from Vivian Owens, the community historian in Mount Dora, Florida. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Go higher, think greater, be stronger, be wiser, our seat. Our table. This is our voice, our time. Up next, our we voice, have Soldiers seat. to Scholar, and we will be speaking with Malva Williams. Hello, everybody. Hey, good morning, Malva. Welcome to our, our table. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm enjoying it so far. Excellent, excellent. I'm so I enjoy Miss Joy. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Joy Hayes is an amazing artist, and we are so fortunate to have her here in Central Florida. So we, are, we were so glad to hear her story and look forward to seeing so much more of her work in, in our local community. So Malva Williams. Malva, I know that you are the interim director with the Soldiers to Scholars program. Malva, please tell our listening audience, how did the Soldiers to Scholar program come about? Uh, Soldiers to Scholars program um, was an idea that uh, former state representative Alzo Reddick had um, in the early 90s, like 91, he had this idea um, when he was a legislator of having, well, what he did, he saw a lot. And one of the things that he did see was that uh, there was a lot of uh, minority um, military veterans getting out of the military, but they did not have um, the, the the tools or education benefit. They didn't have the education benefit. Um, they had benefits of maybe buying a house, but they did not have the a GI Bill for for education, and he realized that these are some really um, smart and intelligent people that had really extensive training. So um, he thought that, and then he also saw that the young children that are growing up are growing up with um, like rappers and gang members as their role models. And he had this idea that um, well, veterans would be probably a better uh, role model for these children so, you know, they can grow up to either join the military or, you know, or have college in their future. So he uh, created Soldiers to Scholars because most of the veterans actually wanted, was trying to go to school after they finished their uh, tour of duty. Wow. Wow. So, so, right. So he went to Valencia and pitched the idea. They liked it, and then they, he 
so I went to UCF and pitched the idea and between Valencia and um, UCF, they collaborated. And I think um, back then, uh, Governor Lawton Childs was also um, a factor in this program. And he got it all together and created some of the scholars. Now, um, veterans are getting their education and going on to do better things uh, or bigger things. At the same time, they've already gave back to the young children, uh, kindergarten to fifth grade, um, their, their leadership uh, qualities. Okay. So there's a lot of children actually came back and said that if it wasn't for soldiers and scholars, they would be in jail. So that's some testimony of how great this program is. Of how effective this program is. Malva, one of the yes. things I know when I when I called the number that you've given me, the direct office number, it identifies mm -hmm. you as retired. What what's your re, what's your title? Uh, I'm a retired retired sergeant major of the army. I mean, not of the army, but an army sergeant major. Retired army sergeant major. Yes, ma'am. Wow, wow. We cannot <laughs> overlook that. We are speaking to retired sergeant army. <laughs> Pardon me. Retired. No, I didn't say that. Okay. Retired sergeant major Malvin is Malvin Williams. Retired Sergeant Major Malvin Williams. And I see hyphen Tyson. Yes. Okay. Yes. So we definitely yes. and what that is, yeah, what that is is that when when you join the military and it, it doesn't matter which branch it is, uh you either go in as an officer, which you have to go to college first and then go over to be an officer, or right out of high school you would go enlisted and um, an enlisted starts out with the E1. Correct. And uh, all the way up to an E9 is the highest that you can get and the sergeant major is the E9. Wow, wow. So you are current not, currently now the interim director of Soldiers to Scholars, which was founded by Dr. Alzo Reddick um, as right. a way in which to connect soldiers, those who are veterans who served our country and con connect them back into our local community. So in total, how long has this program been around? How many years has this program been um, active in the community? Um, since 1994, the, the idea, the pitch of the idea was in 1991 and in 1994, it had its first veteran to go to school. To go to school. And where is the program housed or located? Where, where the students, um, where you're serving the students? Um, it is a Metro Place Apartments on uh, Kirkman Road. It's actually the second clubhouse inside the complex. So we serve the um, community of Metro Place Apartments and the surrounding areas uh, along Kirkman Road. Okay. Okay. I know exactly where you are. And what are some of the activities or, or programming, the actual engagement that happens? What are some of the things that the soldiers are, are sharing with the students? Okay. The first thing that, um, that Dr. Reddick thought of himself was um, a few years back, and I'm not sure of the year, 
maybe I'm not sure of the year, but um, there was a bus shortage. They, they had the bus system, well, the OCPS buses had to cut their budget. So what they decided to do was that if there's children that live within two miles of their school, they will have to walk. Correct. So um, Metro Place Apartments is exactly um, 1.7 miles from uh, Eagles Nest Elementary School. Therefore, those kids was walking down the side of Kirkman, busy Kirkman Road, and crossing the, right. And there's apartment complexes in between, and these children is actually walking um, across those intersections. So uh, he decided safety first. So what the first thing that we do is that we bring the kids into our our um, building, which is the clubhouse in Metro Place. In the morning, we give them a small breakfast around 6.30 in the morning, and then we uh, line them up with road guard vests and we walk them to school. And, wow. in the yeah. and in the afternoon, we go to the school um, with road guard vests and we walk them safely back to our building. And we're open the children until 5.30, so uh, those children can have, we actually, they actually feed them too, second harvest. I went to Second Harvest Food Bank, so they give them a, um, a light um, dinner when they get back, so we feed them. And after they get finished eating, we actually make them take their homework out and we assist them with their homework and try to um, help with any flaws the kids have. And they're quite a bit. There's a lot of kids that's like in third grade that can't read. So we're trying to deal with with that too, and we can't be their teacher, but we can only encourage them to want to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Malvin, how many yes. students are currently in your program? Right now we have 40. And what's the ratio, ratio of the volunteer soldiers to students? We have, um, the ratio is like one um, adult to 10 children. But we have a total of five when they get back, or five, at least five adults that works with the children when they get back. Okay. And are you currently, how do you recruit for more uh, volunteers or, or veterans to become involved in your program? Well, we go to different schools. We go to different um, reserve units and um, we have a website that is down right now, but we have a um, going to have a website to within the next month have it back up because we're under a different um, school at the university. So we would have our website to recruit as well as um, going out to the reserve units, and and it's word by mouth as well too. It's word of mouth. Wow, wow, wow. So how can we as the local community, what are some of the needs right now um, that that you can um, seek from the local community? Um, is there any particular needs that we can help you out with? Yeah, we would love for um, people in the community just come and help us uh, either walk with the kids or help us because some of the kids need one-on-one -on -one um attention and we don't really have enough people to do the one-on-one -on -one. we try a little bit but there's quite a few kids that need one-on-one -on -one attention that at least help us with like the first graders second graders uh with their homework um 
we what we did also for funds, we hired uh, um a young lady to help us with the choir so we got like a little choir and then we got a, like a little band so we can also have them to do um uh the arts as far as music music engagement and what about visual arts do you have any visual arts programs that the students we can do get involved with we do not that's why i was interested in miss joy we actually partnered with um uh, i don't know if you're familiar with dr uh, Florence alexander yeah um yeah. yeah well she's gonna uh, be hosting um the international film festival i think this will be the second one okay and uh she wants to she actually bought a whole bunch of uh, canvas pieces and and paint for the kids to to paint something so she can display them next month but the problem is right right so we need some that's right that's right so we are very connected to the arts community our local artists community and for the artists who are listening you just heard from joy hayes for the artists who are listening you heard the requests uh soldiers to scholars we need to make sure we have a couple of artists working with these students, giving them the basics as to how to create art. Um, right. Yes, yes, yes. That is a request. That would be so awesome. Yeah. How can someone it's reach awesome. out to you, Malvin? What is your contact information? Okay, I can be reached at uh, my um, both my work or myself. My work number is four zero seven. Nine zero zero two seven four five extension one, and that's four zero seven nine zero zero two seven four five extension one, or my cell four zero seven six nine four three three six seven, again four zero seven six nine four three three six seven. Excellent, excellent. You are listening to our seat, our table leadership lounge. You just heard from Sergeant Major Malvin. Is that correct? Sergeant Major Malvin. That is correct. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> Malvin Williams, who is the interim director of Soldiers to Scholars program, a program that was initiated by our local uh, Dr. Alzo Reddick, he saw the need in which veterans were returning home. They needed to be educated. They needed to be civically engaged. And this is how this program uh, was created. Right now, they are seeking local artists to work with students in helping them to create and learn the basics of, of creating art, of painting. So please get in touch with Malvin Williams. Malvin, yeah. we're so, so excited that, you know, that we were able to reach out to you and you made yourself available to us. Thank you so yes. much. And we are looking, we're looking forward to connecting you with local artists in which you can better serve the students. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate that. Absolutely, Malvin. Thank you. You are listening okay, to Our Seat, Our Table, WPRK.org. We can be heard on Spotify as well as Apple Podcasts. Go higher, think greater, be stronger, be wiser. Our seat, our table.
This is our voice, our time, our moment, our seat. Our, our seat, our table, the Leadership Lounge. It is Friday morning. It is April the 16th. It is tax season. It has just closed. Maybe they have given an extension. But I hope that everyone, everyone has gotten their taxes together. Uh, once again, we are in episode 14. For those of you who have been listening for the last, what's that, four months since January, we've been bringing to you the best of our Central Florida community through history, through community or grassroots organizations, as well as art and business. My name is Barbara Chandler. I am the host of Our Seat, Our Table Leadership Lounge, along with Andrew Brown, co-host of the artist segment, and LaVonda Wilder, who also is the co-host with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce, bringing you the business highlights. So this morning, we are going to have the Artist Spotlight with Andrew Brown. And we have none other than our local amazing artist, Joy Hayes. Good morning, everyone. It's Friday. I hope you guys had a great week, and I hope that your weekend coming up is going to be amazing. This morning, we have visual artist Joy Hayes, and you probably have seen Joy's artwork around the city and you haven't even known it. She also has some pieces at the Park Drive Gallery, and we have Joy on this morning. Good morning, Joy. Good morning. Thank you so much for coming on this morning. Joy, talk about how did you get started as an artist? Well, officially, my art career began about 40 years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I, will, I will say that as far as my career, but I've been drawing since I was a little girl, about five years old. <laughs> when uh, I was about five years old, I, I would draw on everything but paper, the refrigerator, the stove, <laughs> the, <laughs> really? the washing machine, and my, my mother so lovingly would hand me uh, a bucket and a rag and tell me that was not, <laughs> that was not the way. Uh, but the wonderful thing was my father worked at a paper mill. And so he would bring home huge rolls of paper. Mm. And then I, I discovered my true um, love for the arts back when I was a very young girl. And uh, in school, in, uh, <laughs> Let's see, I would say in elementary and in high school, I was drawing four people and doing murals in the school. And oh, wow. um, I started doing artwork on the stores, local stores, store windows. Okay. So then um, by the time I was 17, I graduated from high school and went on to um, Newark School of Fine and Industrial Art for three years. Now, the the career actually began when I, this is a story that's that's coming out in the future on the documentary. Okay. Um, I was the artist for a community, an Islamic community under the leadership of a man named Dr. Malachi. 
New York. So um, I left. I left my husband. I'm skipping over quite a bit here, but I, I left okay. my husband in the end. Uh, <laughs> That's okay. okay. And I moved into this community and I became Dr. Malachi Z. York's artist for a period of 19 years. Um, I was doing pastel illustrations, full color pastel illustrations, uh, depicting stories from the Bible, from the Holy Quran. Um, we took all the major stories, all the major prophets, and um, turned them to uh, images that would represent our culture, our, you know, black, black faces. So we're talking about stories like Adam and Eve in the garden and mm -hmm. uh, Moses parting the Red Sea. Um, you just name any major story in the Bible or the Quran. And I did illustrations of those and I did illustrations of a lot of, you know, our great black leaders such as Martin Luther King, mm -hmm. Malcolm X, mm -hmm. uh, Marcus Garvey. And so these posters um, and the pictures in these books have circulated all over the world. And most people don't know this part of my story here, especially here in Florida. Mm. Uh, you said you, you were there for 19 years? In and out about three times. I, I left about three times. It was, um, I would say, uh, it, it was an organization where you, you, you live there you know, and uh, practice the way of life that was being taught. Gotcha. And, but my job was my job, nine to, from nine in the morning going on into the wee hours every day, seven days a week, no vacation. Mm. Um, when I, I, I left a couple of times and I went back and continued on with doing the work that I was doing was very dedicated to doing these, these um, <clears throat> illustrations because I was believing in the teachings that were being taught. So these works were being done for free. I've done over a thousand works for this organization. Um, never signed any of the work and uh, was never paid, but they're all over the world. I mean, there's quite a few people that do know that I created these pieces. Wow. Um, but I don't have any of the originals. It's quite a controversial story. It sounds controversial. What was your most memorable piece that you remember creating? Oh boy, there's so many. That is so hard. Um, let's see. Um, or a few. One. Okay. There's one particular piece that I did of, of the leader, actually, that was one of the most famous pieces. Um, his name at that time was Imam Isa. And I came to find out much later that that piece was, was um, shown in one of Jay-Z's very early videos. Oh, wow. And I didn't even know <laughs> it was in the video. But at the very end, if you'll search up the originators, one of his when he was very young and at the very end he's uh in the song 
they say assalamu alaikum three times mm-hmm. and then there's the uh some of the people who were in the community standing there holding up this painting that i did of him but um i think i really just i did so so many and i don't have any of the originals um there's some that I did of Moses, Moses parting the Red Sea. That's one of my more memorable ones. In fact, that piece can be seen. I do have a um, one of the images framed that I was able to get a hold of. It's in the Bronze Kingdom, mm. the location of the Bronze Kingdom, which is where I do have some art on exhibit right now. Presently, I have art on exhibit at the Bronze Kingdom on I-Drive and their other location on Colonial um, in Fashion Square Mall. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you get started doing the artwork on some of the electrical boxes in the city? Okay, well, um, that came about by, uh, I met a young lady, Annette Giles, at the um, Lake Mary I think it's called the Cork and Olive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was showing and selling there for their live jazz event. And she uh, purchased some of my work. And later, maybe about six months later, she contacted me and let me know that Westlake's Partnerships was um, involved in a project to beautify the urban areas mm-hmm. of their of their division down by like Church Street and OBT. In some of those areas and, and that they needed 30 of those boxes <laughs> oh, wow. and I said my goodness she contacted me about four days before they needed to have the sketches and I said uh sis I don't think we can do that many sketches in this short of a time so they narrowed it down to 10 and I was able to get them um, 10 sketches and you know it took quite a while before we got that project started um, they showed me where the boxes would be placed, which is, let's see, we've got one on um, OBT and Church, mm-hmm. uh, back there by, um, you know what, there's one over by the high school, Jones High, we got one over there. I don't mm-hmm. remember the exact locations as far as the addresses by heart, but there's six of them. Mm-hmm. And... Um, we're going to do the other four as soon as um, we're getting the, the second, you know, approval from the city to go forward. Absolutely. But it was quite an experience. I, I tell you that the people were walking by, waving and thanking me and keeping the horn because those areas really do, you know, you know, those areas really do need some, uh, you know, beauty and enhancement and I said, okay, let's go out here and put some positivity, some, you know, spirit of joy <laughs> and color. And they really showed a lot of appreciation. Absolutely. And now um, you have some artwork at Park Drive Gallery in Sanford, correct? Yes, I do. Uh, wonderful Cassandra Williams. She's just opened this gallery within a year. And I tell you, she has been so supportive and 
I'm, I'm doing well out there and it's much needed. I think this is the first black art gallery in Sanford. Mm-hmm. If I'm not, if I'm not mistaken and, um, for it to be such a, a, a small place and, you know, it's kind of like a storefront, but gosh, it's, it's a wonderful place. It's a healing place. We call it, <laughs> we call it a healing place because the art and, um, and the energy in there is just, it's very uplifting. Absolutely. So, Joy, do you I, take commission? Yes, I do. That, in fact, I think I do more commissions than anything. Oh wow! I do lots of um, yes. A lot of people come to me to um, create an image of a loved one, you know, and I I do that. That's what I I love painting people. Um, I love capturing their their energy and their emotion and the spirit. I do believe that when you capture the eyes, that you're capturing a part of that spirit. And a lot of people tell me, well, they feel like the eyes are following me or they're looking back at me. And I'm sure a lot of, uh, a lot of artists experience that. But it's, it's true, you, you capture, you know, a bit of that soul on the canvas. And that's why I, I named my business The Eye of Joy I want people to see what I see and and feel what I I feel when I'm capturing that image on the canvas. So yes, people can come to me with a photograph and um, leave it with me. Even guarantee is there's not going to be any mistake of who it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a testament to to your skill level. You can. Look at a photograph and, and create artwork from that. Um, and it's definitely a, guild, a skill, rather, that I don't have. Um, so I'm always appreciative when I have visual artists on to interview, because uh, the skill is undeniable. And like we opened, you passed by a lot of Joy's artwork, and you've never known who it was. But now you do. This is Joy Hayes. Joy, how can our listeners reach you? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Eye of Joy, E Y E O F J O Y. You can also find me on Facebook under Joy Hayes, um, or you can email me at Eye of Joy fifty at gmail dot com, and. Um, I have a phone number. It's 321-460-0158. And to give me a call and I'll be happy to spread some joy and, and divine creativity in your, into your world. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on. This was Joy Hayes. She's got artwork on display, not only at the Bronze Kingdom on International Drive, also at Park Drive Gallery in Sanford. And she'll also be one of the artists at the Folk and Urban Art Festival on April 24th at the Hannibal Square Heritage Center in Winter Park. Joy, thank you so much for coming on. You're so welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Barbara, who do we have up next? Go higher, think greater, be 
stronger, be wiser, our seat, our table. This is our voice. Up next, we have LaVonda Wilder with the Eatonville Chamber of Commerce. LaVonda, who is our business spotlight for the week? This morning, we have Chiffon Gray, the Harry Goddess. Ooh. But I have to say something before I even get into the interview this morning. Because as I conduct this interview, I recall reading a post somewhere about how good a parent feels knowing that their children grew up to be a nice person. Well, today, I'm that parent as I introduce the hairy goddess, Chiffon Gray, to the Small Business Spotlight <laughs> listeners. Hello, Chiffon. Hi, how are you? I am good. Thanks for joining us this morning. Good morning. Good morning. I love the intro. <laughs> <laughs> and we love having you here. Yes, I love being here. <laughs> well, first off, Siobhan, for those of us that have never heard of the Harry Goddess, what is the Harry Goddess? So the Harry Goddess is my business. Um, I'm a, a full specialist, actually. Um, a full specialist is someone who specializes in skincare and nail services. But at the moment, I, I, I am more interested in skincare. So I'm offering sugaring services. Um, sugaring is a form of is another form of waxing. Um, it consists of sugar, water, and lemon juice. Um, it's a method of hair removal from ancient Egyptian times. Um, Cleopatra is also said to have used the sugaring method. Um, sugaring may have been started by accident. Um, they used a mixture of sugar, water, and lemon juice to make a paste, and they used it as a bandage. And when they remove the bandage, um, we remove the sugar in a flicking motion. I know that's like a weird term to use, but but I always say like flicking is kind of like a motion of like, shoo, get away kind of thing. Um, Interesting. So yeah, when you flick, um, kind of you, you think about that motion because when we're learning, they'll say like, like thinking about slapping someone but the motion really isn't slapping it's more like shooing it away from the follicle i guess you would say and um and it gets the the hair from the root and it leaves your skin smooth and i'm not biased against waxing but i do feel that sugaring is a better hair removal option especially if you're tired of getting ingrown hairs or if you're just feeling like you don't want to shave as often. Well, from someone that has had both services done, I've had sugar in and I've also had wax and I definitely agree with you about sugaring and I think it lasts longer. longer and you, yes. Yeah, and you can sugar any part of your body and I've also found that when I sugar, and, and I'm saying this for you to tell me if other people have shared this with you, that when I have my yeah. underarm sugar, I don't need deodorant right away. Yes, I actually, I honestly, I feel the same way. Um, I, I usually used to shave constantly, like probably twice, 
twice in a, a day maybe because I'll shave in the morning and then I just feel like the hair has grown back already. And and shaving actually, um, if you think about it, it's removing a layer of your skin. So a lot of us uh, that have melanated skin, we may notice that we're getting a little bit of darker skin in the areas that we're shaving or we're getting uh, a lot of ingrown hairs or bumpy areas. Um, a lot of us have like curly hair. So when the hair is shaved or, or not properly removed, it will curl back into your follicle. And then that's when we get that, that bump of ingrown. Um, but as far as the underarm area, I do feel as though the sugaring has helped me not have to wear deodorant um, as often. Um, of course, I do still sweat. Um, I'm just, cause I'm a hairy person, so hair brings sweat. Um, but I do feel as though a lot of clients at first they'll say like, well, I don't know, I'll just shave my underarms. But then I notice when they do get it done, they always say, well, I feel as though I'm not as smelly as I used to be, or I'm not as, as the M word we all say, musky as I used to be. Um, I do feel as though sugaring has helped my underarm area tremendously. Awesome. Thanks for sharing that, Siobhan. What other services does the Hairy Goddess provide? Um, at the moment, I am only providing sugaring services, but in the future, I I am going to be starting back doing vajayshal services. So I I was doing vajayshals. I just changed lo locations. So I'm just getting my bearings back in this new location. But vajayshals are basically a a facial for your your V area, <laughs> your Brazilian area, or even even your Brazilian area, because I do offer services to men as well. Um, a lot of I notice a lot of spas do not cater to guys, but I do offer. Um, well, I wouldn't call it a vajayshal for a man. I would just call it like a like an ingrown hair service. Um, for the guys, but basically it's it's like a facial for down there. Um, it's a double cleanse and exfoliation, um, an ingrown extraction. Um, basically, if you have any ingrown hairs that are visible, um, I will try to remove them as best as I can. Sometimes if the hair is, is still a little deeper under the skin, I'll leave it because that's when we're getting all the, the marks and the the bumps and the dark spots because we're picking at our skin. So I would say just leave those little bump things if you see them. Um, they'll come out eventually by themselves. Um, I also offer facial services. Um, I do love to pamper people. So I'm, I'm really, really passionate about doing pampering facials. Um, and at the moment, I just received two Yanni seat chairs. So I will also be starting Yanni steaming. Um, Yanni steaming is very popular right now. Um, it actually started in, in ancient um, Chinese times and the men actually did steaming. The men would steam their, their, their behind areas. They would steam them for prostate prevention, prolapse, digestion, odor, 
hemorrhoids. Um, but now it's more more popular with us women. Um, it helps with any gynecological issues you may be experiencing, such as spotting, clotting, cramping. Um, it also helps if you are um, having any heat issues down there. Like sometimes I get a little sweaty because we, we're living in Florida, you know. Um, but those are the services that I'm that I are am offering and am planning to offer in the future. Well, thank you so much, Siobhan. So I want to know, men can have sugaring. Uh, I guess it wouldn't be a Brazilian, maybe a Brazilian. A Brazilian. <laughs> yes, a Brazilian. Okay, thank you. Thank you for any of our gentlemen out there listening. You can have sugaring services also. So when you take your wife out, you can go along with her. Uh, let me ask you this, Chiffon. What are your proudest moments about being a business owner? What excites you? Um, I would say um, something that excites me would be um, I'm trying to let's see. There's so much I would I would like to say. Um what about flexibility, educating the public? Are those some of the things that your business includes? Um, I do. I, I actually try to on my Instagram page, I try to post the before and after services that I do. Sometimes people are a little curious about it, but maybe a little afraid or a little um, shy about asking about what the service consists of. But on my Instagram page, I do try to, you know, show everybody what they're going to get into when they actually get in the room. Um, I do know that starting out being an esthetician, I worked for other spas. And, and I was really working to bring their vision to life. Um, it was great, but you know, sometimes you just wanna bring your own flavor or spin to the recipe. And I couldn't do that, you know, cooking in their pots. But working for myself, um, something that excites me, it's, it's really brought out my creativity. Um, it's exciting just being able to present different services or even different specials and seeing how well my clients um, respond to the services and specials that I present to them. Um, I also love being able to help my clients finish their serving services. Um, that's the most exciting thing about my business. Uh, online, you, you've probably seen other people post about what they've gone through through their uh, sugaring or even waxing experiences and it's not always the best uh, reviews you know what I mean <laughs> so it's it's exciting to me when a client comes in and they're able to finish the service out when they're actually been on the table and thinking they can't finish or even coming in just reading other people reviews or what they've experienced and they're a little hesitant but I try to be very patient and get you through the service so I would say that that is probably the most exciting thing about my business is trying to to help the client get through the service and finish I feel wow. like getting the service done when we're finished like I'm so excited about it what I like is when you said that you were bringing your own flavor to the pot 
I, I can't say how many times I wanted to clap here and there and I actually smiled and I could hear the I could hear the excitement in your voice as you were speaking. Now um, for our listeners that do not know how to contact the Harry Goddess, can you give us a phone number? And I know that you're on social media because you just mentioned it. Can you give us some yeah. contact information? Yes, yeah, so I am on Instagram. Um, Instagram is is the best way to reach me uh, or to see my my services and what what all I offer. Um, it's the Harry Goddess Studio. It's T H E H A I R Y G O D D E S S S T-U-D-I-O. I just wanted to spell it out slowly. But it's the Harry Goddess Studio on Instagram. But you can also text me. My phone number, the business phone number is 321-330-7063. Um, I'm, I have a bit of FOMO, so I'm always up late. So if, if, if you're a FOMO person like me you can text me anytime and I'll get back to you right away as soon as I can now Shafan, do you have anything that you want to share with maybe a first-time business owner a young person like yourself that's maybe thinking about going into any business yes um, I will say uh, the Something that I've learned as a business owner, well, as a young business owner, I'll say is just don't compare, just do you. Um, I think it's natural as a human to see other businesses or as a, as a business owner to see other businesses and compare how well their business is going to ours. But I, I found myself doing that a lot when I was first starting out. But seeing others take off so easily, you know, why you feel so behind or not doing enough. But talking to other business owners, I have learned that this is that is a common trait in our our entrepreneur community. I would say um, I've just had to remember that what's for me is for me or what's for you is for you. Um, we may think that our, our businesses aren't much, but the people we service um, um, are, are trying to support us and they know that we're just starting out. So they're, will, they're gonna be willing to work with us. And sometimes I get a little in my own head, but, but I think even my clients, they'll tell me like, girl, you're doing great. Like, don't worry about it. Like, you're the nicest esthetician I've been to like you make me feel so comfortable but still I know we still get down on ourselves but I at the end of the day I just have to remember like I want myself to succeed and my clients also want me to succeed so I would say just to any entrepreneurs starting out just don't compare yourself to others just do you that would be the best advice. <laughs> Thank you for that, Shafan. That is awesome, awesome advice, even for myself. And I've been out here for a minute now. Thank you yes. so much, Shafan, for joining us today on the Small Business Spotlight with the Edenville Chamber of Commerce. Happy Friday to you. Thank you so much. Have a, nice Have a day. great day. Thanks again.
Thank you. You heard it here. You are listening to Our Seat, Our Table. That was Lavonda Wilder and Chiffon Gray. Sugarin for everyone. Sugarin does not discriminate. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us, Chiffon Gray. And we certainly wish you the best. And thanks for that wonderful advice. And do not compare yourself to anyone. Just continue to do you. You are listening to Our Seat, Our Table, the Leadership Lounge, and we are here every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. You can listen via WPRK.org, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We thank you again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you again next Friday. Go higher, be greater, be stronger, be wiser, our seat, our table. This is our voice, our time, our moment, our seat, our table. Yeah. Hey, 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 our seat, our table.